mobile service via Zoom, just drop us an email. If you have your Bibles with you, let's turn to 1 Peter, because we're going through 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, and I'll be reading down to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. As you turn, it's always important to remember when we're studying the Bible that the, uh, the chapter and verse markings are simply there to help us read it and remember bits of it. Uh, they were not there originally, and so sometimes they're quite arbitrary, and they split up the thoughts like it does today, uh, and so that's why we read uh, a cross chapter sometimes. Uh, so always keep that in mind when you're reading. One of the big helps that I found is a, uh, there are versions of the scriptures that are out there where they take out either the chapter numbers or the chapter and verse numbers, and you read it like you'd read a book. Uh, and that's a very powerful way to study the scripture. And a lot of times I find myself reading more that way uh, because I'm not counting how many verses I've read. And so I keep going. So anyway, before we read together, let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for your word. I do thank you, Lord, that the Bible is trustworthy and true. And I pray, Lord, that you'd speak to us through it this day. And let your Holy Spirit rest on me, that I might bring your word to your people this day, to the glory and honor of Jesus. For we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the first 21 verses, Peter has been talking to Christians as individuals. Now he's starting to talk to us as Christians collectively with verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the word, the good news, that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a chosen cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And so the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, 
that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. One of my favorite stories from my first church, true story, uh, a woman who had just started attending our church and really loved it, became a member and a very good friend. She was standing and talking to another woman. Uh, I believe it was in the market. And they were chatting together. And, uh, uh, and the, the woman who was chatting to my friend, uh, she said, have you heard about that Presbyterian church? And I was at the Presbyterian church uh, in the States. Have you heard about that Presbyterian church? And Marcia, this woman, the friend, she said, playing along a little bit, she said, no, what about it? And she said, I think something strange is going on there. Really? Tell me some more about it. Well, people are changing. It must be some kind of cult. And... Uh, Oh, it's such a great story. And I've been accused, by the way, in case you're worried, I've been accused as a cult leader on two continents now. So, uh, uh, so it's, it's not anything new. So if you're worried now and you need to run, please do. Because uh, you know, uh, uh, get away, you know, run away. But it really puts me in mind a little bit of the classic film. I think it's from 1955. I'm sure you've all seen it. The Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Because, yeah, when you're a Christian, you're always thinking about those things, right? Uh, and it's a great film. If you haven't seen it, I encourage you to do it. It's been remade a lot of times, but the 1955 version is, uh, is the best. You know, it's the B-movie classic. And if you don't know about Invasion of the Body Snatchers, it's about this invasion uh, that happens, and people, when they're asleep, they are replaced by a duplicate. And the duplicate is grown out of a big pod, like a seed. Uh, and then uh, the person falls asleep, and then they're replaced, but they're exactly the same. They have all the same memories and uh, uh, all the same thoughts and things like that, except they don't really express emotion. Yeah, that's, that's kind of the clue. And, uh, and so, so this guy, he starts noticing that people seem to be changing all around him. And then they start to figure out what's happening. Uh, and, uh, and the aliens, you know, they start with their base in this one small town. And the goal is to, to spread out uh, all across uh, the world. And in the 1955 version, we call in the FBI, who uh, clearly are going to save the day. Uh, and the, the later versions, I think, that they end up taking over the world or something like that. And, uh, and sometimes, you know, for Christians, when you become a Christian, some of your friends, the people around you, think that they're in a scene from the invasion of the body snatchers. Because here's this person, they know you. You know, especially if you, you've grown up, you know, your parents, they know the child. And suddenly the child is different, you know. They're like, okay, who are you and what have you done with my child? And, uh, and, and so it's a, it's a bit of a takeover. But you know what? I think God does this on purpose. This is God's strategy for taking over the world. You know, this is what God's doing. This is what he's been doing. You know, obviously God created the world. We know that. 
And uh, he created the world good, put Adam and Eve in there, we know. And then Adam and Eve messed up, they sinned, and everybody else has sinned after them. And that's given power to Satan, to the evil one, to bring all this evil and mess. I mean, all this stuff we see in the world today, everything that's bad is because of sin or Satan. And humans, we cooperate with that. But then God said, okay, I'm not going to let this stand. I'm going to invade the world. And so he invaded the world in Jesus. And he comes and he's born. Jesus, uh, fully God, fully human, lives the perfect life, uh, seemingly like an alien, although everybody recognized he was a person. He was a regular person, but he wasn't a regular person, kind of like, you know, the invasion of the body snatchers. Uh, he was a regular person, but not a regular person. And then the disciples gathered around him and a bunch of other people gathered around him. And lo and behold, what began to happen? People started changing. And then Jesus lifted off and said, I'm sending my Holy Spirit, uh, my presence to live inside of all of you and to keep on changing you and keep on expanding. And you're going to gather together as my people and keep on expanding as part of my invasion to take over the world. And that's God's strategy. And we are part of God's strategy. We are part of what God is doing in his church. The church is God's strategy for this alien invasion of our world. Now, unfortunately, it's be become quite fashionable just to discount or disregard the church. And quite frankly, uh, a lot of churches almost need discounting and disregarding because they're so awful. That's true. I mean, I, uh, I've seen it. I used to say that I wanted to have a church for people who don't like church uh, because there's a lot of churches I don't like. Uh, and, but, you know, it's popular to discount, to disregard those uh, churches, say we don't need it. In fact, just recently, there was a survey, and 66%, I'll get the, get the actual quote here, 66% of Americans, now, okay, they're crazy Americans, what can you expect? 66% uh, of Americans agreed with this statement, worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for regularly attending church. Now, let me tell you, the error in that, in that statement is that if all you're doing is attending church, you're not necessarily part of the church. You know, just because I walk into McDonald's every now and then doesn't mean I'm going to buy a hamburger. It might mean that I just like some chips or something. You know, so, so that, the question is kind of phrased wrong, but it's stunning that two-thirds think that, well, the church don't really need it. It's not really important. Now, when we're talking about church, just quickly, we're, we're not talking about every building. You know, what is church? Biblically, the church is two things. You've got the capital C church, and that is every Christian who's ever lived at any time, including every Christian who currently lives now, and every Christian that will live in the future, we're all part of the big C church, the capital C church. But then you got the little C church, and the little C church is every local expression of that larger body of Christ. 
every local expression where believers are gathering together, living life together, sharing life together, participating life together on a regular basis that involves worshiping the Lord, learning and growing together, making disciples, and so on and so forth. So I'm not talking, when I'm talking church here, just talking about these buildings around. You know, they can come and they can go. But it's the people gathered together that we're talking about. And we have forgotten, in the West largely, we have forgotten the centrality of the church in God's strategy to make disciples of all nations. In fact, we've allowed the, what we call Christendom, that's the, the idea of the West is Christian, and we're all Christian nations, but you don't all have to really be Christian to be a Christian nation. It's a kind of a vague concept. And what we've done, we've allowed this vague concept of, our, of Jesus, of our faith, of church, to neutralize churches so that we're nothing more than another social agency or we're nothing more than a propaganda group trying to raise money. And neither of those pictures are appropriate because neither of those pictures convey the powerful notion that as the church, we are called to invade the world. And we're not going to invade the world by taking over the government, as sometimes some American Christians seem to think. We're not going to invade the world by uh, uh, taking over the media. We're going to invade the world by seeing one person at a time changed and become part of the mass and move and grow. That's God's purpose. And it sounds crazy, it sounds insane, it is a bit crazy, it is a bit insane, but that's what God's doing. Now remember in this letter, Peter is talking to us as strangers and aliens. I mean, that's a literal word there, aliens. He calls us, your aliens. Now, he, I don't think he means little green men from Mars. But, you know, we have that resident aliens, people who are foreigners, people who are sojourners, people who are just traveling through, maybe asylum seekers, whatever. We're aliens. And Peter says every Christian is an alien in this world. In fact, when your body gets snatched and you're invaded by the Spirit of God, you become an alien. You're transformed. You're a completely different person. And so Peter shifts now in the text we read today, and he stops talking about us individually as aliens, but now he's talking about us collectively as aliens, how we've been sent as a collective group of aliens into this world and how we can be fruitful and multiply and fill the world and subdue it. And that's our, that's our mandate. It was the creation mandate for humanity, and that's our mandate as the church of Jesus Christ. So how do we do that, and how do we do that, especially as aliens? I mean, after all, if you're not an alien, then all you do is saddle up to somebody in power, get them, convince them to become a Christian, and, and force everybody else to become a Christian. But that doesn't work. It's not worked in the past, it won't work in the future. So Peter says, okay, now you're individual aliens, but collectively you're aliens. And now Peter is telling us how collectively we're going to be invading the land, how collectively we're going to be 
taking over with love, not with power, with God's grace and mercy, not with judgment. Uh, or another way to say it, if you watch a lot of science fiction, as I've done, in a, if there's an alien invasion, how do the aliens succeed? Because we're used to watching a lot of films until the last 20 years, all the films, the aliens are repelled, right? Now, sometimes the aliens succeed. And so we need to take a playbook from the aliens on how to succeed, or we need to take a pay playbook from Peter on how we live as aliens, how, how we invade as aliens. Now, if you watch some science fiction, you learn the first thing is that aliens behave like aliens as they invade the land. You don't get films where the aliens start behaving like the natives because if they do, they always lose. Uh, there's so many, I, I won't, I'm, I'm resisting cultural references because we could go on forever. Uh, but uh, so, so many funny thoughts, Andrew's giving me the look, so it's a, I gotta, we gotta watch out. Because he knows, he knows all the, uh, anyway. It's, you gotta act like an alien. You can't act like the natives. Otherwise, you don't invade the land. And that's what Peter says. But Peter says, particularly, there are three things that we need to be doing together. And frankly, if we do these three things, people are going to think we're strange. So you're ready for the three things. Key for Peter here, and you can follow me through the text. This is just taking, going right through the text. First thing, Peter says, love one another earnestly, from a pure heart, love one another zealously, earnestly, from a heart that's been clean. In other words, what is a clean heart? It's a heart without agenda. It's a heart without agenda. You know, there's a lot of people that don't have clean hearts. You know, I, I've seen ministers, I've seen leaders uh, saddle up to people just to convince them, because you know, they're wealthier, you know, and that oh, I want you to be a friend of the church. Well, they want them to give more money. You can't do that. There can't be an agenda on your heart if you've got a clean heart. So you have to love one another earnestly. How do you do that? Well, there's two preconditions for loving one another earnestly. You can't do it without these. Peter says you, got, uh, you have your purified souls that you got in obedience to the word which enables you to have a brotherly affection. It's the fact that Jesus has purified your soul, your mind, your will, and emotions, so you can actually begin to reach out to people in love. And secondly, he says you've got to be born again by the imperishable, living, abiding, and eternal word of God. It's the good news that's been proclaimed to us, the good news of Jesus Christ. If we're not born again and we're not living in obedience to the word, you will not love people. You cannot love people. You cannot disobey God and love somebody. The two things don't go together. So that's the first thing. Peter then says, not only got to do that, and if we're loving each other without agendas, that's going to freak people out. Then and of itself, freaks people out. Second thing he says, put away these destructive behaviors. There are certain behaviors that we can't do because they're like, they're like kryptonite to Superman. And if you do these as a Christian, you're going to fail. You're going to have problems, and you're going to hurt the church, and so they can't be tolerated. 
They can't be tolerated. What are they? He says, put away all malice. That's any kind of ill will. That's any negative thoughts toward other people. Just get rid of it. Put away any deceit. Deceit is treachery. Deceit is where you try to to move things for your own agenda or for your own benefit, your own well-being, or that of your little group or whatever. Put it away, he says. Put away hypocrisy. Now, hypocrisy is just pretense. It's pretending. It's acting like you're something that you're not. You know, if, some, if, you're, if you're terrible, feeling terrible, and someone says, how you doing? And say, oh, I'm great. I'm going from glory to glory, happy as, happy as can be. That's hypocrisy. Put it away. Get rid of the pretense, he says. Get rid of the envy. That's where you have a grudge against somebody else because they've got something you don't. Might be somebody's attention. Might be a spiritual gift. Might be a, a position in life, whatever. And certainly put away all slander. And slander is where you speak against somebody. And if you're speaking against somebody, publicly or privately, you're violating these behaviors, and you're going to destroy the church. And frankly, the world has seen too much of Christians slandering and hypocrisy and all these other things. And then Peter goes on and says, the third big behavior here is just greatly desire the uncontaminated spiritual milk. In other words... You need to be learning. A lot of people, they come to church and it's like, yeah, I've done my duty today. And they go on. We have to have a hunger, a desire to get the milk, to learn the basic things. I can't tell you the number of times I've been talking to people who will talk to me about how many angels can dance on the head of a pin or who will talk about the date in which Jesus Christ is coming again uh, or who will tell me the names of the 144,000 mentioned in Revelation who don't know who they are in Christ, who've not gotten the basic stuff from the gospel of Jesus Christ and aren't living their lives according to the gospel. And Peter says here, do the basics. Get the basics right. That's why we do things like the Freedom in Christ course. And do it with humility. You're a baby. Too often we think, I'm a big adult. I don't need that. You're a baby. Don't act like one. But remember, you are one. You got it? And, and that longing, you're wanting to grow up. You're a baby now, but you want to get bigger. You want to be mature. How do you know you're mature? When you look like Jesus. But not, not in terms of a beard and sandals, by the way. You got that. And remember, you do this because the Lord is good. If you don't think the Lord is good, why do it? The Lord is good. The Lord is good. So aliens have to act like aliens if they're going to invade the land. Second thing about aliens, aliens need a fortress to invade the land. If you don't have a fortress, you can't invade. Now, Edward I learned this the hard way. Now, everybody knows Prince of Wales. Who's the Prince of Wales now? William, Princess of Wales. Okay. I wonder how many people know where that came from. Edward I, in the, the late 13th century, he said, I want Wales for myself. Now, if you're Welsh here, I apologize. I'm not English. I'm an American, so I apologize if you're English, I guess. Uh, whatever. But uh, so Edward I, it's a long time ago, so hopefully if you're Welsh, forgive the English. We've got to get along together now. Uh, things are too much, too messed up. Anyway. 
So he went in, he took an invading army, except he found out Welsh people are tough. You don't mess with the Welsh. They'll kick your backside and take you out of the country, right? So Edward said, how in the world am I going to conquer these people? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to build some fortresses. So he built Conway. He built Beaumarie. He built Carnarvon. He built Harlech Castle and others. And the purpose of these castles were he would send English people. The English people said, I don't want to go. Sorry, I'm the king. You have to go. They would go. And, uh, and then they would create settlements outside these castles. And then when the Welsh people got really ticked off at them from time to time, they'd ring the bells, everybody run in the castle. And the castle was strong enough that it could withstand the Welsh invasion. And that's how Edward I conquered Wales. And from that time on, the heir to the throne has been known as the Prince of Wales. And from that time on, the heir to the throne has been appointed as the Prince of Wales. It's not something that inherits automatically. It's an appointment by the current sovereign. So that's where all that came from. Now you think, okay, what does that have to do with us? That's exactly what God's doing with the church. Notice what Peter says. You know, he says, as you come to him, you're being built as living stones. Now, for some of us, that means Peter's saying you're a blockhead and you need to get softened a little bit. And the thing you understand about stones, they always have to have some of the edges chipped off before they're incorporated in the building. So if somebody next to you is kind of chipping your edges, thank God for them because they're the gift in your life. Part of the reason that that's, that's happening. Thank you, Andre. But uh, uh, just, uh, you know, it's part of the reason why that goes on. So we're being built together as a living stones to what? To become a spiritual house. To become a household, to become something that has substance, that has strength, that has stability, so that from that spiritual house will be a spiritual priesthood. And a priest, is, is, his responsibility is to represent God to the people and represent the people to God. So we're spiritual priesthood in order that we can bring sacrifices to the Lord, pleasing sacrifices, holy sacrifices, unto the spiritual sacrifices through Jesus to God. In other words, it's a place of worship. It's a place of honoring Jesus. It's a place where we lay down our lives. It's a collection of people who have an honor from God because you're part of that collective. And that's why the church today is more important than ever. We need the fortress. The government is not going to protect us. The government is not going to protect Christians. The economy is not going to protect us. The education, there's nobody that's going to look out for us. The media is not going to respect us. So we need one another, and we need to be built together. And if you stand alone, a stone that's alone is nothing but a dead rock. To be a living stone, you gotta be part of the building. You gotta be part of the fortress. And so we're important. So it's important how we behave toward one another. We gotta behave like the aliens we are. And we have to understand that we have a fortress that is us together as the church, built together as living stones to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices to God. 
And then there's a third thing Peter says here for us. Aliens need the fortress. Aliens need to behave like aliens. Aliens need to remember who they are together as aliens to invade the land. Whenever the aliens stop forgetting that they're aliens and start thinking that they're natural-born individuals of the land, that's when the alien invasion stops. And you know, quite frankly, that's what's happened in most of the Western nations. We've forgotten that we're an alien people. We've forgotten that we're something different. We've forgotten that we're not primarily American or not primarily British or English or Irish or Scottish or Welsh or German or French, and you can name whatever subsection you want to name. We've forgotten that, and we've started to get comfortable being in our countries of birth. We've started to get comfortable with our societies. We've forgotten who we are. Uh, just as we need to know who we are in Christ as individuals, so also we need to know who we are together in Christ Jesus as aliens. And Peter says we're four things together as aliens. He says we're a chosen race. Now that simply means, and obviously I'm not going into a lot of depth here with these. I encourage you to take this and study it even further. We're a chosen race. That basically means we are the Father's chosen family. God has chosen us. He's chosen you. He's chosen us together to be a family. Whether you like the people sitting next to you or not, he's chosen us to be a family. We're a chosen, we're a chosen race. We're also a royal priesthood. Remember, we're brothers with Jesus, the King, sons of the Father, the sovereign Lord of the universe. That means we're princes and princesses. And again, our responsibility together is to show the world who God is. And our responsibility together is to cry out to, the, to God on behalf of the world because the world doesn't know how to cry out for itself. And then he says, we're a holy nation, a nation that's been set apart by God. Now, the word here for nation is the word ethne. In other words, we are a holy ethnic group. Now, hear me clearly on this because I've, I've uh, caused discomfort in a lot of people in the past, and I'm going to keep doing it. Once you become a Christian, you are a completely different ethnic group. I'm not an American, although I was born there. I am a Christian. I am a unique ethne, unique ethnic group. Olashina, my brother, is not primarily Nigerian anymore. He's my brother. We are a different ethnos together. And you say that with every single one of us. And it's time that we stop looking at the shade of people's skins and we stop thinking about the native language that they speak and understand, according to Peter, that the ethnos of Christian, this ethnos that we belong to, supersedes every ethnos in the world. My allegiance to Christ is more than my allegiance to the President of the United States or to King Charles or to any other governing authority in this world. My allegiance to Christ is greater than my allegiance to my sister, although I love my sister. And I love my country. 
but my allegiance to Christ is greater and my allegiance to my brothers and sisters in Christ is greater. It's a greater allegiance. And that's what Peter is saying here. And we need to understand it. If we don't understand that, we don't invade the land. And we certainly have nothing to say to a world that's caught up in racial segregation and racial conflict. And we have a lot to say. And we are a people for God's own possession. That means we're God's tribe. We're his tribe. We're his gang. We're his group. Our purpose together is so that we can proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We worship God as the spiritual house and we proclaim the glories of God as a spiritual people to the world around us. Notice, as a spiritual people, it's not about proclaiming the judgments of God to the world around us, but the glories of God. Not that the judgments aren't there, they are. But it's the glories that supersede those, those judgments for the now. And we are now God's people, he says. We're not a bunch of individuals anymore. We're God's people together. We are together a people who have received the mercy of God. This is our reality. And if we don't remember how we are to behave and behave that way, if we don't remember, allow ourselves to be built into the spiritual house, and if we don't remember who we are as the people of God and act like that, there's no way that we can invade the land because we'll look like just anybody else. But God has more for us. I think we're coming to a time in history where Jesus is no longer going to tolerate those who criticize his bride. He is no longer going to tolerate it. And that means Christians. And, well, we'll see what the Lord does with that. But we need to take it seriously. But we've also entered a season where what Paul says in Ephesians 3, chapter 10, is coming to pass. That through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places and even unto all the earth. That's our calling. That's who we are. Yes, we're aliens, and some of us are stranger aliens than others. But together, we are the people of God. And together, we have not yet seen the glories that will be revealed in us to the praise and honor of Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious God, we love you. We honor you. We worship you and adore you. I thank you, Lord God, for your word. And I pray, Lord God, that you'd encourage us and strengthen us and continue speaking to us as we worship and honor you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Now let's join together.